If you have your Bible, please turn in it to Romans chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible, then you can get one of the black Bibles around you in the pews. And it should be on page 948 in that Bible. And you're welcome to keep that one as our gift to you if you don't have a physical copy of the Bible for yourself. I'm going to begin uh, reading Romans 12, 3 through 8. But we're going to be looking specifically today at 6 through 8 as we keep talking about spiritual gifts. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. There's what we're supposed to do. As we said last week, that's not the end of the list. There's lots and lots to do. If you ever showed up for something that you've been looking forward to for a long time and all of a sudden you just say, what do I do now? I made it. I arrived. But now what? Well, as we've come to faith in Jesus, we have arrived in a way. We're justified. We have heaven. It is given to us, bought, paid in full at the cross of Christ, received by faith alone. But what do we do now? Well, we are to love and to serve. And the way that he begins this chapter, as this whole section of Romans is kind of getting into the application of what we're supposed to do with the salvation that we've been given in Christ, the place that he starts with it is serving in the church and specifically serving the church by use of the spiritual gifts that God would give in order to build up the body of Christ, the church. And so let's look today, as we we talked a little bit last week about what spiritual gifts are and addressed that weird and difficult topic of what about all of those miraculous gifts that seem to have have been in play uh, in the time of the Bible and yet don't seem to be in play today, except that there are some who redefine them and, and, uh, and try to say that they're still around, but in a different way. Well, talked about that last week, but we're going to get today into the specific gifts that are listed here in Romans, as well as some others that are listed elsewhere in Scripture, what they mean, and how we can search our own hearts to be able to serve God's people with the spiritual gifts that he's given us. So let's start out looking at these instructions for these seven gifts that are listed here in Romans 12. Just a reminder, spiritual gifts, what we're talking about, are different ways that the Holy Spirit of God enables every Christian to serve the church and its people. I'll say that again. Spiritual gifts are different ways that the Holy Spirit enables every Christian to serve the church and its people. We have gifts that differ according to the grace of God. Not everybody has the same gifts, Even people who have some of the same gifts don't have them to the same degree or even quite in the same way, but God has decided how it is that he's going to make it possible for each Christian to be able to build up their brothers and sisters in Christ, the church. So these instructions, as we get into them, include instructions for seven gifts, but I kind of realized this this morning. 
before we get into these instructions, I need you to know something that is going to hold you back from using your spiritual gifts if you don't do it. Be sanctified. Okay? Be sanctified. The one thing in your life that is going to be a killer of the use of your spiritual gifts to benefit the church is if you cherish sin. If you say in your heart, I am going to keep sin back here in this corner closet, I am going to make provision for the flesh in my life, rather than saying to God, I want to be holy, I want to be sanctified, there is nothing that is going to be more of a killer to the benefit that you could have to the church and to its people than if you refuse to grow in holiness in your life and instead hang on to sin. You need to be sanctified. Just remember, the same Holy Spirit who gives gifts to each and every Christian for the benefit of the church is the Holy Spirit. He is not the unholy talent giver. He's not the one who just says, I'm going to make you able to do all kinds of awesome stuff that will make up for the sin that you're cherishing in your life. That is not the character of the Holy Spirit. And so just remember, if you want to be effective in the use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you also need to be moving along in holiness with the Holy Spirit. Just one verse about this, out of 2 Timothy 2.21, it says this, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, know that up front. Know that up front. If you have sin in your life that you are cherishing, clinging to, if, you, if your heart is just not in a position where you have a love of holiness and growing in Christ-likeness, that in itself is going to make you pretty useless. So don't do that. Pursue God in your life. Grow in holiness. Get your Bible out in every morning. Be in the Word. Be in prayer. Be killing sin, or it will be killing not only you, but also your usefulness to the church body. Cleanse yourself from the things that are dishonorable so that you can be ready for every good work and useful in the house of the Lord. So I just want to say that up front. Those of you who were at the the catechism class, we learned a little bit about sanctification this morning, and that's useful. And that's what we're talking about. But let's talk about these seven gifts in particular. As we seek to be holy and to serve the church, What are these and how can we put them to use? The first gift that's listed is this at the end of verse 6, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now I have to mention last week, prophecy, the, the presence of that gift being listed there is what kicked us off into talking about all of those uh, sign gifts, those miraculous gifts that were in operation during the time of the apostles that no longer are in operation. Those were gifts that were for the foundational time of the church. It says in Ephesians that the church is built on the the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Once the foundation was in place, with Christ being the cornerstone, there's no need to keep on laying a new foundation. Once we have a completed Bible, there is no need for God to continue to make people into prophets. And so the gift of prophecy seems no longer to be something that is in place. 
Now, there, there are ways that we can still proclaim, thus says the Lord, right? Because we can get out our Bible. And that's actually what I'm trying to do today. I'm trying to tell you, thus says the Lord. But it's not because I'm a prophet who is uh, supernaturally receiving new words from God to then to deliver to you, but it's because God has already done that. And so we're, we're taking the words of this prophecy and delivering it today. But he says to those who had that gift, prophecy, if prophecy, do it in proportion to your faith. Now what that seems to mean in proportion to your faith is not like, boy, if you, if you really have a lot of faith, then come up with more stuff to say. That's not what it means. What it, what it seems to mean there is in exactly in the proportion of what God has given you to say. This is a, a principle that you find throughout the Old Testament, especially in the book of Ezekiel, about what a prophet is to do, is to speak exactly what the Lord has given them to speak, and no more and no less. If that proportion of faith was to give Isaiah the entire 66 chapters of the book of Isaiah to deliver as prophecy, then that's exactly what he was to deliver. Or if, if it was to Nahum to give those three little chapters. That's exactly what he was to deliver, no more and no less. And so that was what was to be done. Just a reminder that no prophet was to give anything more, anything less. But with that in mind, if you're interested in what is the gift of prophecy and how, does, how are we to view those who would today call themselves prophets and tongue speakers and healers and miracle workers and those sorts of things, I encourage you to uh, get on the internet on our website, fbcmadawan.org slash sermons, and we talked about that last week, all right? But let's go to the next one, which is service, service. It says to, uh, if service in our serving. So this is saying, if God has given you the gift of service, then build up the body of Christ, be a member of the body of Christ, functioning in the body of Christ with your serving. Now, what, what is this gift of serving? It's probably the same gift that's being spoken of in 1 Corinthians 12, where it talks about helping, or helps as it's sometimes translated. And of course, every Christian ought to be serving in some way, and ought to be willing to serve, and ought not to think of ourselves as above some particular act of service. And we're reminded of that when, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 20, when two of Jesus' disciples came to him through their mother, strangely enough, but came to him and said, hey, we want the best seats in heaven. Can you give that to us? We want to sit at your right hand and on your left hand. We, we want to be exalted. And do and you remember what he said to them? He said, if anyone would be great among you, he must be your servant just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So it's obvious that all of us ought to be humble, all of us ought to be willing to serve in whatever way is necessary. But at the same time, some people are especially gifted at it. And there are some roles of service that just really need gifted people to take those off of the hands of others. An example of that would be in Acts chapter 6 where there was a huge need for the widows who were Gentile, uh, Gentile widows within the church to, to be served. And they, they had a, a system of daily distribution of food that was, that was set up to take care of these poor widows, 
but it, it, it was breaking down, and, and it was even breaking down along ethnic lines, and, and it threatened to split the church, essentially. But, but the apostles said, hey, Jesus has given us, first and foremost, the, the role as pastors of the ministry of the word and prayer. And if we devote ourselves to this extremely important act of service for these widows, that's going to be our full-time job, and, and we're not going to be able to devote ourselves to, to the Word and to prayer like we're supposed to. And so what did they do? Well, it, it, they went to the congregation, and they said, appoint seven deacons. That's essentially what it is. Uh, uh, and the word deacon comes from the exact same word of serving that's here in, in this uh, chapter, in Romans 12, when it says, if service in his serving. The same word, by the way, too, when Jesus says that he came not to be served, but to serve. He was deaconing too, in a different way. But they said, we need those who are going to commit themselves to this service. And it wasn't just going to be only those seven guys, by the way. They appointed seven who fit certain qualifications to to help take over this service. And it's kind of obvious, if the 12 apostles couldn't handle all this, then those seven guys weren't going to be able to handle all this in a church of thousands. But they obviously would have been recruiting lots and lots of other people within the church also to positions of service, even if not to the formal office of deacon, but to positions of service. And and it was just so necessary, and it continues to be necessary. Our church is a lot smaller than the church in Jerusalem was. But we need those who would commit themselves to serving in various ways. And some have that gift in a special measure. Not just to say, yeah, everybody ought to serve in some way, but to, to really be among those who, who see it so practically. To be the kind of person who, who especially shines at seeing what needs to be done behind the scenes and to jump in to pull things together for the benefit of the church, for the benefit of its people. That's the gift of serving. Next thing that it says is that there's the gift of teaching. It, it says, the one who teaches, verse 7, in his teaching. Well, what is teaching about? Well, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. I hope. I hope something's getting across. Uh, it, it involves, I mean, obviously preaching involves teaching, but you should also know that every Christian teaches in some way. And now especially you're going to see this if you're a Christian who becomes a parent. You need to teach your children the Bible and sound doctrine and teach them the gospel. And even as we're all called to do evangelism, to, in the Great Commission, to go and make disciples, it's to, to teaching them all that, that I have commanded them as part of what it says. And so, so each of us, as Christians in our lives, has a responsibility to teach in some area and some way, but there's also a special gifting of being able to teach. And that's a gifting that is not required for every Christian. In fact, it's a gifting that is not required for the office of deacon in the Scriptures, but it is required for the office of elder slash pastor slash overseer. That's one of the differences that you see between the lists of requirements for those two offices in 1 Timothy 3, is that an elder must be able to teach. And it's not limited just to pastors, though. There can be others who also have that gift. For example, in Titus chapter 2, it says older women or to teach what is good, and so train the young women. It's a beautiful thing. Now, and it may be that you're using your gift of teaching and teaching Sunday school, 
or in various other ways, but it's a gift that builds up the church. Now, that teaching here needs to be in particular, the kind of teaching that it's talking about is teaching of the Word of God. Right? We're, not, we're not talking about teaching high school math, although if you teach high school math, praise God. We need math. <laughs> That's good. You, you may be the kind of person who could never possibly teach high school math, and yet God has especially gifted you to be able to pick up the Bible and to teach it to others. And if that's the case, then cultivate that. You don't even have to wait until you get assigned a teaching position in the church to cultivate that. right? You can teach your family. You can start teaching. I mean, the Internet has made it an amazing place to, to start just teaching, right? I see these people on Facebook who just, like, they're just moved by the Word of God, and they just make a Facebook video. Like, I'm going to teach through this passage, and anybody who wants to listen can hear it. It's an amazing thing to do. Uh, now, as your pastor, I'll probably watch that, okay? And so so don't, don't start being a heretic on the Internet or something, okay? But, but it, it's a place you can cultivate that gift. It's, it, it, you can... Uh, you can sit down with a, a group of believers and open up your Bible and just start going through. There's all kinds of ways to do this, but the church is so, so built up through the teaching of the Word of God. The next gift he gives uh, that he, he mentions here is related to that very closely. He says, the one who exhorts, verse 8, in his exhortation. I don't use the word exhort in my everyday life. I use a lot of weird words in my everyday life, but that's not one that I use in my everyday life, and you probably don't either. Exhorting is, it's kind of like a combination of encouragement and, um, and telling somebody what to do. So it's kind of like saying, hey, based on what the Word of God says, you, you should go and do this. I, I, I hope that, that you'll be built up in Christ to go and apply the truths of the Scripture to your life in this way. And so you see how that's really closely tied with teaching. One of the ways that that would come out, if it's not from the pulpit, would be in counseling. Maybe it's in formal counseling, or maybe it's in informal counseling, where you're just having these intentionally helpful conversations with somebody, and you're seeking to figure out, how can I bring up a Bible verse that's going to apply to this person's life and situation and to help them move forward and to walk in Christ. Some of you are very gifted at that. You have the gift of exhortation to be able to look at somebody in the face and to tell them in a loving and kind way, here is what needs to change in your heart and your life. Here's how you can walk more closely with Christ and put the Word of God to work in your life. Now, this is probably related also to this gift that's called elsewhere in Scripture, the word of wisdom. Now, word of wisdom and word of knowledge, in, in some places you'll hear those referred to as miraculous gifts. Uh, I think what is being spoken of in word of wisdom and word of knowledge is something similar to teaching and exhortation. If you're going to exhort, that involves wisdom applying the Word of God to real lives, to say here is what you ought to do to walk forward in, in applying this, this wise teaching to you in your life. And that word of knowledge is that kind of thing where, you know, I mean, some people are just very, very good at, at saying, hey, 
I, I read that verse in, in Revelation, and the bell went off immediately that that's connected to the verse in Zechariah, and we need to put these things together and see what it is that the Apostle John was, was trying to make the connection with back from the prophecy of Zechariah. That's, that's that kind of gifting of being able to, to look at the Bible and, and to, to, to put it together in almost that academic way that's going to build up other believers in their knowledge. But there's others, as I said, who are going to be bigger in exhortation to say, to read that same verse in Revelation, and the bell that goes off in your head is, I see exactly how this verse is going to build up my brothers in Christ and move them forward to faithfulness. Right? Now, which one of those do we need more? Do we need teaching more or exhortation more? Do we need the word of knowledge more or the word of wisdom more? Well, the answer is we really, really need both. We really need both. And preaching, good preaching, ought to bring both of those things together. It is the reality, though, that not every preacher is going to be equally gifted in both sides of it. Some preachers are going to be more gifted in the teaching side of preaching. Some preachers are going to be more gifted in the exhortation, application side of preaching. That preacher that you're thinking of in your life where you thought, he really, really helped me grow in Christ, probably what you're seeing there is that both of those gifts came together really strongly in that same person. And praise God for that, and we pray for that. But just to also know that even among preachers, God doesn't gift us all equally or in quite the same ways, and we need each other. You need not to just hear from one person. Now... The next gift that it gives, that it mentions here, is giving, or contribution, or generosity. It says, the one who contributes in generosity. Now, does this mean, if you don't have the gift of generosity, that you don't have to give anything to the church? that you are no longer under any financial obligation before God. You can just use your your money however you feel like. 100% of your bank account just for your own personal use because somebody else has the gift of giving. No, (laughs) that's not how it works. For all of us, just like with serving or various other things, mercy, evangelism, some people are particularly gifted in this, but obviously we're all called to do this. We're all called to give and to contribute with generosity toward the ministry of the church and toward building each other up in Christ. Now, can you use your spiritual gift of giving to build up individuals? Yes, you can. You may see a particular person in a particular need, and God moves you to take the fruit of your labor and to use it to bless their life. That is something that is really possible. You, you can use it for, for various purposes of spreading the gospel around the world beyond the church too, to give to missionaries who are going to be planting churches among unreached people groups, all kinds of things like that. But especially here, just as we're, we're talking about these gifts that serve in this body of Christ as we are many members who are built up together, the, the place where we ought to think first and foremost about our giving is toward our local church first. And God loves a cheerful giver. Now, if your first question when you think of giving is, what percent of my income do I have to give? Well, you might not have the gift of giving. And you may still even be stuck in the spiritually immature mindset of just barely checking off 
the box of giving a tithe of 10%, which Randy Alcorn calls the training wheels of Christian giving. Or you may be in an even worse spiritual position where you may be habitually committing the sin of robbing God. Where it says in Malachi 3.8, Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Now I've got to say, whether you consider yourself gifted in giving or not, do not rob God. Don't live in sin against God by taking the first fruits of your labors for yourself, where God has said, those belong to me. Now, I don't say that because I'm trying to get rich. I don't work on commission. If your giving increases, my salary stays the same. Okay? But I say that because I don't want you to live in sin. I don't want you to be at peace with sin. I don't want you to fall into the spiritual perils of the love of money that have ensnared so many people. And whether you're financially comfortable today, which some of you are, or whether you're financially struggling today, which some of you are, all of us are called to put God first with what he's given us, just as we're called to put him first in every other aspect of our lives. This reminds you of what it says in Mark 12. It says that Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything that she had, all she had to live on. Now Jesus is not commanding every Christian that you must give all that you have to live on and then walk away with nothing. But what he is is he's showing the beauty of the cheerful, sacrificial giver and that it's not something that's only limited to the rich. If you are wondering how can I faithfully handle my finances for the glory of God, both in my giving and in other ways, we went through a great book on that on Sunday afternoons recently called Money, Debt, and Finances by Jim Neuheiser, and I highly recommend that book, Money, Debt, and Finances by Jim Neuheiser. But as we've talked about everybody ought to give, this does say that some specifically have the gift of generosity or the gift of giving. And what that's going to play out as is extra cheerful, extra generous giving. It's going to play out as viewing your labor as you work for your paycheck as labor for the Lord, as co-laboring together with, with everybody else who is working together for the purpose of the gospel to be able to take what it is that you're earning to give generously in order to promote the work of the gospel in the church and beyond. There are some who are especially gifted in that, and that is a thing to lean into. That's one way where you can see that your you know, quote-unquote secular job is for the purpose of the work of the Lord. Even as you're earning a paycheck, to be saying, my labor is going to go toward cheerful giving so that the gospel can go forth. The next gift that it mentions is leading, the one who leads with zeal. The one who leads with zeal. Now, what is that talking about? That's, that's something that is going to be done by pastors, elders, obviously. They're, they're even called in one place in Scripture, in Hebrews 13, 
your leaders, where it says obey your leaders, and then talks about how you can help your leaders to lead with zeal by not making them do it with groaning. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that it's up to the people of the church to make the leaders lead with zeal. It doesn't mean that if you're a church member who has once made your pastor groan, that you have now made it impossible for him to fully use his spiritual gifts. That's just not the case. Those of us who are leaders, those who lead or have the gift of leadership are to do it with zeal. So, now, again, if you have that gift of leading, maybe that would mean that God would have you to be a pastor one day. Maybe that would mean that God has you to begin with just leading in your family. Maybe that would mean that God would have you to lead a Sunday school class or some kind of a ministry of helps within the church. This, this gift of leading is probably synonymous with the gift of administration. It's in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Another way to put it is the gift of running things smoothly. And praise God for that gift. Praise God for it. Just like with teaching and exhortation, some pastors are stronger in this gift, some are weaker in this gift, which is part of why God has designed it that not just one guy ought to be the one making everything run according to his strengths and weaknesses by himself. But there is the gift of leading, and praise God for that. And there's also the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy. He says here, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I knew one time a well-meaning pastor who was, who was very faithful, but he would occasionally say when, when there was a problem that would come up in the church and somebody was complaining about something, he'd say, somebody else deal with this. I don't have the gift of mercy. Obviously, all of us are called to live out mercy, right? Just like all of us are called to serve, all of us are called to give, all of us are called to be merciful. God has been merciful to us. We're called to now be merciful to others. So this is another one of those ways where you can't say, well, I'm not especially gifted in this, and so I don't have to do it. No mercy from me. Don't do that. But some of you are especially gifted in mercy. What that looks like is that you are especially gifted in noticing where somebody is hurting where somebody is in need and being the person to jump in and to bring comfort and to bring help in that situation, whether it's an individual, whether it's a group of people, whether you, you, know, you, you just see those needs. Maybe you, you are the kind of person who says, oh man, you know what we have to do? We have to pause and go outside, guys. I apologize. Um, I, I've, I've only got like 30 minutes left in this sermon, guys, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the firefighters. Lord, we pray for them on a regular basis and for the police too. And uh, Lord, you have granted them to be able to just jump right out and to respond um, at, at the first sign of risk. And so we pray uh, for their protection for times when there are real risks and for their help. Um, Lord, we, we just thank you so much for uh, your providence in all of this. Uh, Lord, it was your plan to interrupt our worship service for your purposes. And, uh, and so we praise you for that. 
Um, Lord, I pray that you would focus our hearts on worshiping you for these last, uh, these last few minutes that we have set aside for that purpose. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I got to say, I, just like even right there, I saw some of your spiritual gifts start to kick in. Uh, and some of you just like seeing, oh, this person needs this. So I got to run over here. I got to do that. You, you see what's happening here? This is, this is good stuff. So we got, a, we got a little bit of an object lesson right in the middle of talking about it. So, so praise God for that. Um, so the Lord may have, uh, have willed to split this sermon up a little bit, and that's fine. Um, but we, Ed tells me that I, I was talking about the gift of mercy uh, when that happened. And just a reminder that there are some who are especially gifted at helping the hurting. And so praise God for that. Um, there are other spiritual gifts that are not listed in this list. So this list has seven spiritual gifts mentioned. Um, there are others that are mentioned. Some of those are things like being an apostle, which is mentioned in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12. The gift of tongues or speaking in other human languages that the speaker hasn't learned in order to communicate the gospel or the interpretation of those tongues or miracles and healing. And those are things that we all, we, we spoke about all of those sign gifts or, uh, or even revelatory gifts last week. And so you can go back and listen to last week's sermon if you want to know um, how the current practice that calls themselves those miraculous gifts doesn't match what's in the scripture, but that God really did give those things during the foundational period of the church uh, for his purposes to set the church on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. One of the things that's, that's listed elsewhere, too, is the distinguishing between spirits or discernment, the spiritual gift of discernment. That, that was on display in Acts chapter 16 when uh, Paul and his companions were being followed around by this servant girl who kept on yelling, these men are from God, listen to them. And those who weren't discerning might hear what that servant girl was saying and say, boy, she's speaking the truth, this is great, let's prop her up. But Paul, with his spiritual gift of discernment, was able to tell she is saying true things from an evil spirit in order to prevent us from being able to communicate the gospel. She was being disruptive in what she was doing. He was able to discern, even though technically the words coming out of her mouth are true, that this is not promoting the gospel but taking away from it. And some really just have that gift. Uh, of being able to look at a situation and to say, this is in line with God's word and is moving the message of the gospel forward, or to be able to say, this is not in line with God's word, or this is a disruption to the gospel, that gift of discernment. Some people have that very strongly. If you have the gift of discernment very strongly, don't use that as an excuse not to have mercy, by the way. Keep that mercy on hand. It speaks of the gift of faith in the scriptures. Now, it's hard to know exactly what is meant by the gift of faith because anybody who trusts in Jesus has been given the gift of faith in a sense, right? Faith in Jesus itself is a gift, but it seems that some have an extraordinary faith. Some have the kind of faith that it says in Matthew 8 that Jesus marveled at when he saw it in the centurion whose servant he healed, that it was an especially strong faith. And so there are, there are some people that their faith in itself just builds up the believers around them. And you've seen that, you know that. Some of you are sitting in this room who 
by the gift of faith that you have, just your, your fellow believers getting to talk to you, that it builds them up in Christ. And if you want to be around those who have the gift of faith and to hear their faith coming out of their mouths and to be built up and encouraged to move forward in your faith, I would really suggest you come to the Wednesday night prayer meeting because that's where they tend to gather. And that's where you tend to hear it coming out is in their prayers. And Praise God for that. Another gift that's mentioned in the scripture is evangelism. As I said before, we're all called to do evangelism. Evangelism is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to unbelievers with the hope that they will believe upon him and be saved. And we all need to do that. You need to tell your children the gospel. You need to tell your other family members the gospel. You need to tell the people that God puts in your life the gospel. And you need to take seriously Matthew 8, 19, or 28, 19 that says, Go and make disciples. Go out of your way in order to tell the gospel to people that you wouldn't have told the gospel to if you didn't go out of your way to do that. So just as Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist, even those who are not especially gifted at evangelism need to be doing evangelism. But there are some who are especially gifted at evangelism. There are some who are just especially gifted at bringing the message of the gospel to the lost and seeing it impact their hearts. I would say, too, keep in mind that that is listed as a spiritual gift for the common good of the church. Sometimes people can separate that out and think, well, I have the gift of evangelism, so I don't need to be around the church. I can just be out in the world preaching the gospel on the street corner, and I don't have to go inside those four walls. That's always the derogatory term for the church, the four walls, right? I don't have to be in the four walls. I can be out here preaching the gospel. Where are those people that you preach the gospel to? If they believe, where are they going to go? You've got to have somewhere to send them. And, and the church ought to be part of our evangelism, where we're, we're saying to people, hey, don't just take my word for it. Come and gather with these people whose lives have been changed and talk to them and see what's going on here. And see, see the sincerity of their worship. The church is a part of evangelism, and evangelism builds up the church. You know what happens to a church that is not zealous for evangelism? It dies, or it becomes a social club that doesn't matter. We have to be about the preaching of the gospel and praise God for those who are especially gifted in building up the church by calling others into the kingdom of Christ through evangelism. And then I've just also got to say, etc., etc. Those are the gifts that are mentioned in lists of gifts in the New Testament. But just remember, as I told you last week, there is no list of the gifts in the New Testament that is complete. Every list you come across is missing some of the gifts that are listed in other places. And that, what that tells us is, hey, however it is that God has gifted you, even if you can't connect what you're doing to some specific thing on the list of gifts, go for it. Serve the church. Build up your brothers and sisters in Christ with what he's given you by the Holy Spirit to be able to do that with. You don't have to say to yourself, well, uh, well don't do this. Don't say, well, I don't have the gift of blank. And so that gets me off the hook from everything related to it. I don't have the gift of service, so I'm not going to serve anybody. Don't do that. But do focus, whenever possible, on the things that match your gifts. Pour into the things that God has gifted you in. And, and when you have those gifts, don't despise those who don't have those gifts. For example, if you have the gift of evangelism, you probably are thinking to yourself, 
Why is not every single person in this church evangelizing as much as I do? What is wrong with people? Well, they're focusing on their gifts. They are evangelizing, but that's, it's also your gift especially. That's why you're excited about it. You have the gift of mercy. You may be saying to yourself, why is not every person in this church as concerned as I am about the hurting? Well, again, we all need to be concerned about the hurting, but you just need to realize, hey, don't despise those who are not as deeply gifted in that way as you are. And you could go down the list, but, but just remember, this is, this is normal. This is normal. The second thing to know here is that you shouldn't be shocked if a pastor doesn't have every single one of these gifts, or if a pastor is stronger in some and weaker in others. And when I say pastor, I don't just mean me, and I don't just mean others who are in vocational ministry as their, their job and their career. I mean also lay elders in churches, those that we would appoint by God's grace in the future as lay elders here. Or even if the Lord leads you to move to Florida, which you ought never do. When you go and you start sitting under the preaching of another pastor, don't be surprised when that pastor has a different set of gifts. Or if I get hit by a bus and you're having to hire somebody else, don't be surprised if that guy has a different set of gifts because that's just how the Lord works. It tends to be that when a Christian comes under the ministry of a new pastor for whatever reason, they tend to assume that that new pastor is going to be already strong in all the ways that their previous pastor was strong, but also strong in all the ways that their previous pastor was weak. In other words, most Christians, without thinking thoroughly and biblically about it, are looking for every pastor to be strong in every way that Jesus is strong. And it's just not the case. Just keep in mind that even us pastors have strengths and weaknesses and gifts that vary. That's part of, actually, it's part of what we have built into this yellow document. If you're a church member, you need to pick one of these up. But one of the things that it says that we're hoping to do with eldership is to copy the model of the New Testament that the multiple elders of the church should help to fill in each other's weaknesses with their strengths. That There should be a diversity of gifting among the elders and a diversity of how they would put those gifts into practice, even though there have to be certain things in place for all of them that that they're going to help to build each other up and to fill in each other's gaps. And we need to pray for that and rejoice when we see that. Now, what I'm going to end with today is just this. How do you discover and cultivate your gifts? Well, the way you discover and cultivate your gifts is by serving. Just by putting them to use. Just by doing something. Don't sit around and not do anything because you're not certain that it's your gifting yet. Just do something. Look around at the needs in the church. Look around at the people in the church. Look around at what it is that resonates with your heart that needs to be done and start serving. And as you serve, you're going to discover your spiritual gifts. Now, some of you may have taken spiritual gift tests before. I, I think in my life I've probably taken at least 15 or 20 spiritual gifts tests. You don't see them as much anymore. They kind of fall in a little bit out of, uh, out of fashion. And... Uh, those, those tests, what, what they basically are, if you've never seen one, never taken one, it's kind of like a Christian personality test, right? Where, where you're gonna, you're gonna, it's going to ask you, if you were in this situation, what would you do? What would you think? Are you stronger in this, stronger in that? How do you interact with people? And then at the end, it spits out this result. Your spiritual gifts are this, this, and this. 
right? Now, what's good, what was beneficial to me about taking those is it got me to think about what my spiritual gifts were. But at the same time, don't rely on something like that, okay? Um, it, it, there, there was nobody in the New Testament who was giving out a Christian personality test to figure out how everybody needed to serve in the church. It's just not the way it happened. The way you do it is by serving, by going for it, and God's going to show you where you're gifted, both through the things that resonate with you and the ways that your fellow believers encourage you and say, I see the grace of God in this way. That's another thing you could do, by the way, too. And some of you are very, very strong in encouragement. And encouragement is one of those ways that you can help to build up that, that encouragement, that exhortation is one of the ways that you can help to build up other spiritual gifts. Just to be able to go to somebody and to say, I see God's grace at work in you in blank. Boy, what a beautiful thing that is, just to help each other to cultivate your spiritual gifts. You see what's happening there? Somebody's using their spiritual gifts to build up other spiritual gifts so that the whole church is more and more built up together in the full maturity of the image of Christ. Praise God for that. Two cautions. I think I am going to finish this sermon. How about that? Sorry. Don't take spiritual gifts as a sign that everything is right between you and God. Don't misinterpret your gifting. And I say that to those who have strong gifts, especially. There was already a warning that was back here in the scriptures in this chapter that everyone ought not to think more highly of yourself than you ought, but to think with sober judgment. Remember that warning? There's a situation of pride in 3 John, where John warns about a pastor named Diotrephes, where he says, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. And so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. See what's happening there? It seems that this pastor Diotrephes is falling into something that many gifted people could fall into, which is to say, because I am gifted, therefore I am the authority. Therefore I am the one who ought to be first I am the one who ought to say what everything is and ought to be, and even to the point of going against the apostles. Oof. Repent of pride. If you're gifted, praise God. Don't praise you. Another thing that you need to repent of, if it's there, is unbelief. Now, why do I say that? I say that because of Matthew 7. Jesus says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name. Didn't we just see the gift of prophecy in this list of spiritual gifts? And cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Sounds an awful lot like the gift of the working of miracles, doesn't it? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying that something that appears to be the working out of spiritual gifts in an amazing way, can still happen by an unbeliever. And some of you may have been thinking this to yourself as we went through these spiritual gifts. You may have thought to yourself, 
Well, these don't sound like miraculous things from the Spirit. These just sound, kind of sound like things that you might even point out at people at my job. Like, this person's good at this, and this person's good at that. Well, in some way, yeah, really, it, it, it kind of does sound like that, and that's part of the spiritual danger here that we need to be aware of that Jesus is warning us of, is that even unbelievers can exhibit traits that look an awful lot like spiritual gifts. And so do not say to yourself, because I am gifted, because I am useful to the church, therefore Jesus will accept me for all eternity. That is not the basis on which we go to heaven. We go to heaven on the basis of Christ alone and his finished work alone. Don't put your hope and your faith in your gifts. Put your hope and your faith in Christ. Because there's no amount of skilled serving that can get you an inch closer to eternal life. But Jesus paid it all. And so trust in Jesus for your salvation and use your gifts out of gratitude. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Uh, Lord, thank you for the way that you save and gift believers. Lord, you've adjusted our schedule today. You've, you have gotten our attention in various ways. Uh, God, I pray that the message of the scriptures would sink into hearts. God, I pray that the fire alarm would not serve the satanic function of that little girl in Acts 16 yelling out, listen to these men. But I pray instead that, that the message of the scripture would absorb into our hearts and that you would buy it, sanctify us and move us to faithful service to Christ. Lord, we thank you for the giftings that you've given to each and every believer in this church, and I pray that you would give them the grace to put those to work for our benefit. Father, I pray for, Lord, just for your mercy and forgiveness toward those who absent themselves from the church on a regular basis and, and thereby rob us of their giftings. But God, give us mercy toward them and give us love toward them as well. And Lord, help us to, um, Lord, to reach out to them with compassion and grace. And Father, we pray that for any who may be trusting in their gifting rather than trusting in Christ, I pray that you would bring conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment and that you bring them to faith in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.